Hi, friends. I'm Katie Brinkley, and you're listening to Rocky Mountain Marketing. This podcast is all about helping Colorado-based small business owners, entrepreneurs, realtors, and professionals discover the strategies and systems that take their marketing to all new heights. Let's dive into today's episode. Welcome back to Rocky Mountain Marketing. My guest today is Mark Hirschberg. Mark is the author of The Career Toolkit, Essential Skills for Success That No One Taught You. From tracking criminals and terrorists on the dark web to creating marketplaces and new authentication systems, Mark has spent his career launching and developing new ventures at startups in Fortune 500s and in academia. He helped to start the undergraduate practice opportunities program dubbed MIT's Career Success Accelerator, where he teaches annually. Mark, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah. And you know what? That's, that is quite the introduction. I think that people might say, man, well, what is he, what is he going to, to bring the show? And this is, I'm really excited to talk about your new book and the power that you, you give in your book to entrepreneurs and small business owners. Well, I've done many things in cybersecurity and some tech startups. Many of the skills that we teach in the class at MIT, which are universal skills, not just for MIT students, not just for undergrads, these apply to all of us in our careers and in the businesses we run. So when we look at these fundamental skills like leadership, negotiating, networking, communications, they can help all of us in our professional and our personal lives. So, you know, I like to have my guests, I kind of like to warm up the audience a little bit and get to know you a little bit. So you're not just another talking head. Tell us a little bit about you. Let's start back at the beginning. Tell us where you grew up and what your life was like growing up. I grew up outside of New York and outside of Chicago. Classic 80s nerd. Loved chess and sci-fi and socially was what you would think about a kid in those times with those interests. So I certainly was not one of the popular kids, but I was, was happy with my interests in reading books on physics and playing uh, science games. I love it. I love it. And, you know, it's funny because, you know, the older we get, the more we realize that elementary school and high school and stuff, that it really doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> well, what do you think your upbringing, how do you think that that your upbringing impacted your eventual career and professional journey? It certainly gave me a setback at first. Growing up in that environment, I was socially stunted. I didn't develop my social skills the way other students did. And that was limiting. Now, at a place like MIT, where I did my undergraduate and graduate work, less so. It was more about analytically, can we do the math? Can we do the work? And I was fine. It really wasn't until I got to my career where suddenly just having raw IQ wasn't sufficient. And although I was doing a good job in the mechanics of my work, I wasn't communicating well. I was sometimes saying the wrong thing. I wasn't building the right relationships. And that definitely limited me a bit at first. I didn't make the most of the opportunities I had. And it was at the moment that I recognized this that I more proactively went out to learn and understand this, which I think gave me an advantage because people who have this more naturally just think, okay, I've, I've got, this is working for me. And they were okay with the level they were at. Starting from, a, from like a position further back, I really focus on it to really accelerate and develop these skills, I think, more than most people do. And I'm sure that that led directly into the career toolkit. It did. When I became a manager, 
I recognized the importance of these skills. And as I would interview people, I'd ask a technical question about accounting or software or whatever I was hiring for, and I'd get that technical answer. Great. Then I would ask a question, what makes someone a good teammate? Because of course we don't work in isolation. And I would get blank stares. And I realized I knew this because I had set out to understand it, but most of us, we never learn this. At no point in your college education do they talk about, here's how to recognize a good teammate and how you can be an effective teammate. And yet we talk about working in teams in our businesses. So I had proactively done this, but it's not common. And I looked for materials to train up my staff. I didn't find much. At the same time, MIT had gotten a grant because corporations from around the world were telling us, your students are great, they're really smart, but we wish they were better at these skills. And it's not just MIT, similar feedback to career offices all across the country have been consistent wanting to see leaders, not meaning in a title leader, but people who display qualities of leadership and communicators and strong teammates and people good at networking and negotiating, having good ethics, but we don't teach any of this in school. And so fortunately, I was connected with MIT. I said, I've been focusing on this in, in my company. And they said, oh, you know, well, we're trying to figure this out. I said, let me, let me give you some help. And so they invited me to help design some of the class. And then they asked me to come help teach. I've been teaching there for 20 years now. And for years, I've encouraged the program to really put this content out further. Because again, it's not just MIT undergrads who need this. It's all of us in the workplace. And I eventually just turned that into a book. That's awesome. And I think that too, one of the things that's not taught is the power of networking. I know that for me, and when I first started my business as, as an entrepreneur, I came from the corporate side of things. And I remember when someone said, Hey, I'm going to a networking event. I was like, Oh my gosh, why would you want to go to a work thing and talk about work after work? That sounds terrible. But I think that a lot of people that are uh, in, in college that go directly into the corporate world, that's what they think too. And I know that one of the things you talk about in your book is, is the power of networking. Networking, the two common mistakes are either, why do I need to network? Or it's that, oh, networking means I go and exchange a bunch of business cards and down the road, I call on these people when I need a job. Neither of those are networking. Networking is about forming relationships. It is about building those relationships. Some might be friendships, but some are work-only relationships. There are people I know, we don't hang out on weekends, but we know we can call on each other because we've built this relationship over time. We've built this trust and connection. And those people are available to me. Yes, when I need a job, but also if I need a supplier. I just put a friend of mine, he said he had two weeks to stand up a call center. He was under tight time pressure because his client had a live event that actually started today. And I have a longtime friend who I know had experience in this. And I connected the two of them and he got a hundred person call center set up in two weeks. Nothing to do with he needed a job. It's about he needed help. And we had that relationship and I could connect two people in my network to help him. So our network is built up over time, but then we can use it for our needs, whether it's a job or help with a vendor, a partner, even I need information. I need to learn more about something I know you're an expert in. And that's how you should think about our networks as an extension of ourself for more resources, knowledge, and access. Yeah, I, I think that that is a great way to, to think of networking, Not because that's how I, I used to be the other way the, at the very beginning where you said, it's just exchanging business cards. And if you need a job, then you pick up the business card and reach out. But that is, 
I couldn't be further from the truth. And it's so important to build those relationships and find those people that you can call on and refer out. That's what's helped me with, with my business grow is the relationships and the connections that I've built in my network. So if someone is kind of saying, okay, well, Mark, you've, you've kind of made me reconsider going into the networking world. How do I find a good network? How do I network effectively? It really is building relationships over time. And one way to think about if you need to borrow money, if you need to borrow $10,000 tomorrow, who are you going to ask? Your best friend from high school who you've known for 20 years, the company you've had a partnership with for the past 10, or the person who you met last week at some networking event and got the business card, right? So we recognize that the longer and deeper the relationship, the more we can ask from it. And so we recognize that it takes time to build these relationships. And that's the mentality you have to have. Rome wasn't built in a day. You can't think, I'm just going to get you know, a bunch of cards, add them on LinkedIn, and suddenly I have a network. It is about going out and over time building that relationship. There's a lot of concrete techniques I get into in the book. We don't have time to get into all of them. But fundamentally, think about how do I give before I get? Whenever I meet someone, I think, how can I help you? Now, it doesn't mean I'm giving you that $10,000 loan the day I meet you, but means let me get to know you. Let me understand what matters to you, what's important. And is there anything I can do that's below that $10,000 mark? Of course, we don't think of everything in dollar amounts. It's just a very concrete example. But how can I be helpful? Can I share some insight with you? Can I connect you to someone? Can I do something to help you? And that begins to foster the relationship. And then over time, I find ways to reach back out and keep it going. So you're not the person I last talked to seven years ago, and now I'm calling out of the blue. You know, and that's one of the things too, that drives me nuts is people on, on LinkedIn will reach out to me and I, I don't know them and they're I'm like, okay, well, that seems like someone that I would maybe like to have in my network. So I'll accept the invitation. And then they instantly try to sell to me and I'm like, whoa, 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 let's, let's back up here. I still don't know you. It doesn't mean I want to buy insurance from you just because I, I connected with you on LinkedIn. So you do need to treat these social media networking platforms the same way that you would treat a, an in-person networking platform. And like you said, it's all about the relationships. You're not going to walk up to some, I, I would hope you wouldn't walk up to someone, hand them your business card and say, okay, buy from me. Some people might, and maybe they found success that way, but I don't think that, I think that would be very, very rare <laughs> to find success that way. And this is a common mistake. Uh, I, there's a, a section in the book called uh, don't try to sell me that you're networking because a lot of salespeople confuse sales and networking. And I understand having a sell. I even understand cold calling, right? If you have to prospect, you have to just send out the emails off the list or the calls. I get it. And I'm not offended if you're doing that. I'm offended if you're wasting my time because you didn't figure out, no, I don't buy that, right? Like I'm a CTO. This is what I do. Don't try to sell me accounting software. But when you reach out to sell, be upfront about it. Don't pretend I want to be your friend. Don't pretend I want to build a relationship with you if what you're looking for is transactional. And so a lot of, unfortunately, a lot of salespeople think, oh, right, I need a big network and we're going to build a relationship and you're more likely to buy from me with a relationship. And that's true. You're more likely to buy if you have a relationship, but that relationship takes time. And if you want to get to know me and build that relationship and two years down the road, yeah, you tell me, hey, you got a product that you think could help me. But if you're meeting me and saying, let's connect, let's get coffee, and let me tell you about my great product, 
no, you weren't interested in that relationship. You were interested in the fastest way to make a sale. That's just disingenuous. That is not networking. I, I couldn't agree more with that. And I think that too, one of the things that you, you also talk about in your book is how to be an effective leader. And in addition to the networking tips that you give, and I think that being an effective leader as a small business owner can be tough because there's a lot to do and there's a lot of hats to wear. And sometimes, you know, just being a, a really good leader, you might not even realize that you're not. You might just be thinking about, I have to get this done and this done and this done and this done. Can you talk to us a little bit about how you would guide someone or the advice that you'd give them on being a strong leader in a small organization? One of the most important things to remember is that true leadership is not positional. Authority is positional. You are the CTO or an executive, and yes, you have the power to fire people, to sign checks, to make deals, but that doesn't always mean leadership. And there are people who are in these authority positions who are terrible leaders, but of course the employees listen to them because they wanna keep their job, especially when we're in a recessionary environment. On the other hand, leadership, if you'll forgive a, a maybe kind of touchy-feely analogy, it's like love. There's no limit that you have a fixed amount of leadership and if you, if you share it, yours is diminished. And so you do not have to be the only leader in your company. If it's all on your shoulders, which it usually is, and certainly the responsibility is on your shoulders. Making payroll is on you. Growing the business is on you. You can't, you can't get rid of the responsibility. But of course, we do allocate some of the tasks, right? We're not doing everything ourselves. That's why I have employees and we delegate or allocate. Or allocate. We can do the same with our leadership. Elevate people in your company, teach them leadership skills. Because if you're in a company of eight, 20 people, instead of everyone turning to you, if you had other people who are also leaders, not challenging your authority, but they can step off and they can help promote the goals and the values and the direction of your company, that's one less thing for you to do. And it doesn't make you less of a leader. If you look at the president, right? The president of the United States, he has a cabinet. He has a vice president, he has a chief of staff. And we certainly know that cabinet members, they are authorities. You know, say, oh, you know, you're not, you're not really hands-on with the postal service. You have a postmaster general. Are you, are you really the leader of the free world? No, we say they're leaders because they know surrounding themselves with other leaders helps make it easier on all of them. And you can do the same thing. Your authority is not diminished because you ultimately retain that authority from your position, but you can share the leadership and take one more thing off your plate doesn't mean abdicating leadership totally, but again, elevating other leaders means you can be a leader along with them. And it's, uh, it's better for everyone in the company. Well, I mean, it's, it's all about delegation and delegating people to take on those different leadership roles. What do you think that something a lot of small business owners might struggle with is, is, I mean, I know I definitely struggle with kind of taking the training wheels off and allowing someone else to take on a task because I've, I fear that they're not going to do it as, as good as me. I think, and I think that's a common problem with a lot of small business owners. It's like, oh, I, I just need to do it because no one else will be able to understand how to do it as, as good as I do. And how do you kind of coach people or, or talk to people about kind of letting go of that thought? And it's understandable, especially as small business, IBM can lose $2 million on our project and no layoffs happen. If you lose a single client, if you have a bad week, this can really impact you in a very negative way. And so we have 
you know, no safety net in our small businesses. And so it's understandable why you're doing this. Can you find small projects to you know, start them out, give them modest supervision? And if you have someone and you're going to give them some authority and delegate and you say, okay, Sarah, we want to expand your responsibilities. We'd like you to take this on and not just I'm dumping more work on you. Now you have to do it, but I respect you. I believe in you. I want to elevate you and give you more authority. And I don't just want to throw work on you. I want to give you this authority and responsibility, but I want to make sure you're trained up and can do it correctly. You start with partial projects or small projects. You have regular check-ins along the way. Don't just say, okay, hey, you own these three clients now. Don't screw it up. You say, okay, I'm going to transition these clients to you. We're going to start. You're going to sit in on some of these client meetings. And then we're going to reflect on, we're going to talk about what have you learned? What are you thinking? And before you do things, first, you're going to run the plan by me. Say, okay, yep, you're thinking of it the right way, or let's make these modifications. And then over time, you start to realize in this check-ins, it's all, yeah, great job, Sarah. You got this. So you reduce the check-ins. You reduce the oversight. So you can start with training wheels. That's fine. And so it's the key is when you elevate someone, instead of just saying, do it, it's on you. We're going to train that person up. We're going to show them that we respect them. And that's why we're giving them this responsibility. And then we're going to help them along the way. What do you think that one of the biggest mistakes is for small business owners when they're, when they're just trying to grow and sustain a successful businesses? That's a, that's a broad question. So there are lots of challenges. Some could be that what worked to get you here doesn't work going forward. And this is a common mistake we see. Now, that can be for a number of reasons. Uh, one common thing I see in growth businesses is just how you scale. And so when it is a small business and you've gotten every customer yourself and you've held their hand and you've personally watched it, that works when you're adding you know, a customer, say, every other week. That doesn't work when you're adding three customers a week, which is what you really want to do. You don't have time for that. And so now you have to scale it up. Now you have to delegate to someone else or you have to create a repeatable process, right? We think about pro uh, creating processes, especially because you intuitively know how to do it. You've done this many times. When you're handing it to someone else, you want to say, here's the seven steps you need to do. So they're going to be within this range and not this range as they add new, new folks to it. You also can have challenges as you add new people. Are they fitting in well? Are we onboarding them to the team correctly? And it's not just, okay, we train them, you know, here's where you get the coffee and here's how you get paid, but understanding how people communicate and interact in team dynamics, that's important. We want to fit them in well so that they mesh with the other team. We recognize everyone's strengths and weaknesses and we can leverage that. So those are two of hundreds of issues that I've seen with small businesses. Well, and I think that the one you brought up with scaling is most definitely one of the hardest because how, how do you bring on more and evolving? I mean, because if you're trying and kind of stay the same, you're not going to be able to evolve. You're not going to be able to scale. You're not going to be able to grow and really move the needle on your business. If you don't do exactly what you said and kind of be willing to delegate and be willing to hold someone's hand um, while they learn some of the, the business and then eventually just let them go because that's scaling is tough. And, and I think that really that one of the hardest reasons to scale is just that trust factor of being afraid of not knowing who to hire or being afraid that they're not going to do it as good as you. 
But again, I think that comes all the way back to the very beginning of the importance of networking and trying, if you have a strong network, you can find the right people to fill those holes that you need to, to really help your business take off and be successful. You also get a diversity of perspectives. So now, especially as we're looking to come out of the pandemic, we know the world is different. Some things were temporary, but some things are really going to be a long-term change. Our customers, our suppliers, our partners will all be different. And so what worked three years ago, where you well understood your customers and how they think, you need to reassess that. And so it's important to think about how is my customer today? What has changed? And you're going to see some of that. You're going to get some of that by talking to them, talking to other business owners, talking to other people in your industry, other people in other industries, get their perspectives, see how they're looking at these changes, and then take those ideas and incorporate them into your own business. The bigger your network, the more ideas you can have coming to you. That is so right on. Um, I, I love it because for me, it, as, as with social media, we've seen a complete rise in in need for having a strong social media presence during this pandemic. And there was a lot of things that I didn't even think about. We, I had a, a coffee shop owner who during the pandemic, he, he transitioned his, his coffee shop into Facebook groups. And I mean, that's just a, a brilliant idea that I never really would have thought about right off the top of my head. And he was able to grow and be successful. And now he's immersed himself in the community. And it's all about hearing different strategies, different ideas from other people, I mean, I'm, I don't have a coffee shop, but it's a great strategy that could work for another business. And if you build your, biz, your, your network up, you're going to be able to share those strategies and those ideas. And really, we're, we're all in this together. Um, I, I think that there's enough business for everybody. And sharing those ideas and those tips are what is going to help you really move the needle and, and be successful as a business owner and entrepreneur. Absolutely. A coffee shop is a great example because if you just go and buy coffee, you might think of the coffee shop as a place to buy coffee. So logical conclusion. This owner recognized the coffee shop. Yes, it sold coffee, but the value proposition went further. It was about a community. In fact, Starbucks, their whole premise was we want to be your third place. You have your office, you have your home, and the third place where you hang out is our coffee shop. And so for those of us who just go and buy coffee and go to one of our other places, we don't think that way. Maybe your business can also be maybe not the third place people hang out, but how do you think about making it more of a community? How do you get your customers, your partners, your suppliers together and create more value there? And of course, when we're doing this, this is another example of how we as small business owners, it's not just on us and on our shoulders. If we can empower our teams to get better at networking, then instead of just you going out, you now have all eight people at your company, all 30 people going out, building their networks. And now everyone can tap into not one person's network, but 30 people's networks. How much more powerful are you? Ah, I love it. I love it. Mark, this, is, this has been a great discussion. Um, and we haven't even really gotten to talk about your book too much. Talk to us a little bit about, a little bit more about the Career Toolkit and how no matter where you are with your career journey, why this is a great book to, to pick up and read. The book, it works for people throughout their career. It, we think of it more of these skills or you should get early in your career, but we've had success with people in their 40s, 50s, even 60s, really benefiting from these skills. And even small business owners have said, yes, this is helpful to me as an owner. The book itself is divided into three parts. First section is on workplace and careers. 
chapter one is career planning. And if you're a business owner, okay, that one might not be for you. Uh, for others, it's thinking about how you create that career plan. Two and three is how to work effectively, how to understand corporate culture and how to fit in to an office with your coworkers and understand your business from the different perspectives. Chapter three is how to interview. Now we've all gone out and read articles on how do I answer difficult interview questions. Have you actually ever been trained how to hire someone? We all do this. We get involved with hiring other people, especially owners, but no one ever sat down and said, here's how to think about hiring them. So that's section one. Section two, chapters on leadership and management. And here again, these skills, I address them from a fundamental level. It is not about being in an official leadership or managerial position. It's not about title. It's about these fundamental skills that help us be more effective. And if you're thinking, I'm never going to be a manager, what you're actually saying is I'm never going to take a managerial title, which is fine. Some of us do better at the individual contributor role, but you manage other people. If you've ever dealt with another coworker on a project, if you've ever dealt with someone difficult, if you ever said, hey, uh, you know, we have to get this done by Friday. How are we going to do this? Those are management skills that you use, even if you don't have a management title. So we look at the fundamental pieces of those skills. And then the third section is on interpersonal dynamics. That gets to communication, negotiation, networking, and ethics. Skills we all need, whether we're a sole proprietor, small business owner, or an employee, we need this to be effective in our office and in our life. So we've got the book out there that really, after decades of teaching this, not just to MIT students, I've taught to people of all different backgrounds, all different ages, people doing career pivots, people with high school educations, people with PhDs. These are universal skills that resonate. Well, before we finish up, is there anything that I didn't ask you about today during today's discussion that you think is important to share? On the website, there are additional resources that are free to download. That includes an app. So it's a free app to download. One thing that happens to me when I read books like this is I forget them a month later. God, that was great. There's so much to do. I don't even know how to do it. So you can download the free app. It contains the tips that you get in the book. And so each day it just pops up. It's like a daily affirmation that pops up one of the reminders to reinforce what you've learned. Or you can use it if you're about to say, sit down in a negotiation, pull it out, flip through the negotiation tips and get that crash refresher course right before you go into it for networking, negotiations, interviews, whatever. Uh, so you can download that. There's also a free download. If you want to develop these skills, not just for yourself, but for your organization, there's a free download, how you can train your entire organization, your whole department or company uh, using a free resource there. You don't even need my book to do it. You can use my book for it, but you don't have to. It's not me trying to sell you things. It's me trying to help you. This is awesome. Thank you again so much for coming on the show. And I know the book is available on Amazon. It's called The Career Toolkit and it's, it's almost sold out. So if you've been, if you, if you like what, what you heard today from Mark and some of the tips and advice he shared, I mean, that was, I don't even want to say that was like a, a cookie bite of all the, the knowledge and, and tips that you will get out of this book, but go check it out before it does sell out. Or if it does sell out by the time you get there, make sure you, you get on the, uh, the wait list for it. This has been great having you on Mark. Thank you again so much for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me. If you want to get in touch with me, thecareertoolkitbook.com. You can find out more information or get in touch. 
Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Rocky Mountain Marketing. As always, I'd love to hear from you. You can visit my website at www.nextstepsocialcommunications.com, connect with me on LinkedIn, or check me out on Instagram. I'm at next.step.social. Let's keep taking your marketing to new heights.